The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm your host, Jennifer Sabin, a columnist with Breaking Views here in New York. Recently, I spoke with tech investor Ellen Powell about her new book, Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change. The book is about her decision to sue Silicon Valley VC powerhouse Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers. She lost her trial, but Powell can be seen as a canary in the coal mine. In the last year, the headlines are lousy with sexual harassment scandals that have toppled some powerful people. Powell and I discuss what seems like a turning point, at least in regards to the conversation about discrimination in the workplace. Ellen, welcome to The Exchange. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Your book, Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change, came out in September. It is incredibly timely, given everything that's going on right now in the news with um, not just Uber and gender discrimination going on there, but also new allegations against Bill O'Reilly, who was was the former Fox News host, Um, Harvey Weinstein, obviously. Your book is basically about your 25th. 15 trial against Kleiner Perkins. You sued them for gender discrimination and, and sexual harassment. What do you make of everything that is going on right now? Well, thank you for having me. I, I think that people are now recognizing that there is a problem. And in the past, it's been easy to sweep under the rug. It's been easy to call the person who's speaking up a problem. And today, That's not happening anymore. I think so many people have spoken up. So many people have shared their experiences that you can't call it an anomaly and you have to address it as a more systemic problem. And we're seeing in all these different industries because women and men are speaking up about the problems in these industries. And, you know, the major problem is that people are not... Uh, inclusive of everybody in the universe, and they're really looking towards a more exclusive, um, more uh, kind of limited set of people that they really want to work with, and they treat everybody else poorly. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know about your uh, social media feed. Mine is just completely flooded with Me Too hashtags from um, friends, acquaintances, women that I know, and men. Um, and it seems right now that there's a movement to kind of bring this to the to forefront. You know, that said, do you think that there's any progress being made? I mean, the, the Harvey Weinstein stuff is just, it's, it's terrible. Um, and, and also, like I said, the Bill O'Reilly, you know, new allegations that he allegedly paid $32 million in settlement, which is a huge number, you know, on top of what was going on with Roger Ailes prior to that. Do you feel that, that there there is any kind of progress or that most of this is happening because it's hitting the bottom line and like it's hitting a, a lot of these companies in the pocketbook? I, I don't know that it's hit that many people that significantly in the pocketbook. I think yeah. uh, the, what I've read from Harvey Weinstein's account, you know, uh, experiences, he's paid in the six figures multiple times, but nothing compared to the amount of money he's made for his company and that his company has well, made for but his others, company, right? Yeah, but now his company is, is completely falling apart, right? Right. Because, right. because of all of this. Yeah. I, I think it's been interesting to see that it's, it's not just because of the financial impact that they got rid of him. They got rid of him because so many people spoke up and it 
became yeah. a problem for them, and that and then the company fell apart. So, I think I I, I agree. You're right. It probably is combined, but it's becoming more of a problem from the PR aspect than it has been in the past. And that's what is causing the company to fall apart. And I see that in tech as well. You know, the, the, the problems were around companies no longer being perceived as good places to work or places that people want to um, use the products of. And that's been what's changed uh, because of the poor treatment of, of underrepresented groups. I think it, it, it is a time now that, that, People have really noticed the problem and are accepting the problem and are no longer skeptical of people bringing it up. I mean, it's interesting, like the Me Too hashtag came or, or term came up 10 years ago from Toronto Burke, and it's only been, you know, in the past few weeks that it's really gotten a lot of traction. And I think that's because so many people are using it and so many people are speaking up. And a big part of that is because there is now acceptance of the problem and there's less skepticism and you're not alone in saying it and it's really taken a village of people to make this change happen. So let, let's turn to your book a, a little bit. Um, I, I One of the things that strikes me about all of this is that your trial when this happened and it was a bombshell. I, I remember like following it quite closely and just just reading about what was happening. This was only two years ago um, when, when it happened in 2015. And um, maybe you can describe a little bit about your experience. I mean, what it was like going through the trial and, you know, your choice to to actually sue versus, say, um, sign a settlement agreement and, you know, go away or, or not have this stuff come to light. Yeah, big reason why I decided to sue was because I saw the problems happening to other women in my firm where none of yeah. us were promoted and you know we had on average more experience on average more or better educations or both on average we had you know more time at the firm and you know one woman had actually painstakingly gone through everybody's investments and proven that the women were had better investments they were better investors than yeah. the men and so all of this evidence, and yet almost all the men got promoted and none of the women. And that made me realize this is actually systemic. This is actually more than me. It's not me complaining. It's not me, you know, fighting for myself. It's a bigger problem. And, you know, they're not willing to recognize it. So somebody has to speak up. And especially when tied to the fact that they allowed somebody who had, you know, harassed two people to you know, um, to thrive. And, you know, the response yeah. to the second woman was, oh, you should feel flattered that he approached you in this really awkward, crude way. <laughs> so you, you just, yeah. you know, you, you, you know, you get to a point where you, you realize, like, uh, internally, I cannot solve this. I've talked to everybody, I've written a memo, I've, you know, handed it to all of the leaders in the firm, and nobody is doing anything. So now I need to go outside. And, you know, it took three years to get to court, like, it they were fighting it every step of the way. They tried to move to arbitration. They, you know, it, it was very exhausting and expensive. But at the end of the day, I thought if, you know, this information doesn't get out, nothing's going to change. Yeah, I mean, I will say it's a very brave thing because Kleiner Perkins, just to explain to everybody, and I'm sure they know, but it's a very powerful venture capital firm that backs, you know, Amazon and Google and they have, you know, 
tons of resources at their um, disposal, which is, I think you get, you kind of ex- explain in the book um, that, you know, once the trial was underway, they threw everything at it that they possibly could. And, you know, yes, your story got out. And I think that that's really important. Do, do you have any regrets going to trial versus settling? Or would you do anything differently looking back on it? Looking back on it, I'm really glad I didn't settle. I mean, it really, yeah. you know, it started some other people speaking up and then the combination of voices led to even more people speaking up. And I think there's like a big recognition within the tech industry that there is a problem. And that's very different from, you know, two or three years ago. I think there are things that I could have done differently if I knew then what I know now, um, but they're yeah. kind of on the margin. Like I could have done better with discovery. Yeah. I could have done better with jury selection. I could have done better with um, pushing against some of the judge's rulings around, you know, the the idea that I couldn't get all of the data around people's salaries because we want to protect the, you know, privacy of the women involved, right? I mean, there are things that we could have fought harder on, but, you know, part of it was just not having the resources and having this flood of, you know, this army of resources on the other side in legal PR, uh, PR you know, you too, right? It. Because they were like going at going at it, like trying to smear you and say like, "Oh, you're not a victim," and you know that's that's difficult. That's a really hard thing to have to undergo to to watch that happen. Um, and I mean, that was one, you know, clearly one of the things that kind of hit home when I was reading the book. I was like, "Wow, you made the decision not to sign an NDA," and whereas a lot of women. And again, this isn't to to judge anybody and, and their decisions, but a lot of women tend to sign an MDA, they get in a get a settlement, and then they, they then it's kind of locked away. And like you saw that with the the Harvey Weinstein situation, because that had been known in the industry for for years. People were kind of outwardly talking about this, and you know, reporters had been kind of picking at it and trying to get at you know, the heart of the matter. And it was very difficult to do it because so many people had signed settlements. Like, what do you think about the whole industry, if, if you will, or the whole notion of using an NDA that companies, you know, that they that they do this? And, you know, is there any kind of recourse that somebody can have other than just not signing? I mean, it's rare when people don't sign settlements. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it is the right financial decision to settle and to sign the agreement and move on with your life. I think, you know, if you look at my situation, I spent, you know, close to half a million dollars. I lost the case. I lost my job. I lost, you know. Yeah, a great emotional toll to you as well. Yeah. And, you know, you spend all this time and energy and, you know, and, you know, the likelihood of winning against somebody with, you know, billions of dollars in assets under management and hundreds of millions of dollars in fees each year is incredibly unlikely. So, you know, you have to have a kind of a value-driven orientation to to keep pushing forward. And that can be hard for people who don't have other financial resources or want to continue to have a thriving career or, you know, have any myriad of other reasons why they don't want the publicity or don't want to be attacked personally, don't want their families under yeah. attack. It It is not, you know, the most logical decision to move forward with litigation and not to, you know, and it is a much easier decision and more logical decision to just sign the settlement agreement and uh, take the money. 
So, I mean, do you think that going back to the Me Too hashtag and sort of this movement that is currently happening, do you think that there is a sea change taking place? I mean, I'm, I'm a little more cynical about it. I, I think that it's great that a lot of people are coming forward and telling their stories. Um, but I'm not quite convinced that it will change um, behavior at some of these companies or some of these industries broadly. Like, I just feel as if, though, they're, they're trying to sw- either sweep it under the rug or tamp out the fire and move on. But I don't know. What's your, what's your thought about that? Do you think that that's the case? Or are you, are you more positive <laughs> about what's happening? I, I agree with you. I think it's hard to say. I, you know, I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. I do think people recognize yeah. now that there is a problem, whether Harvey Weinstein gets replaced with another person who looks like him and behaves like him or by somebody else who has a different set of values is unclear. And if people yeah. don't push hard, you know, if people don't hold investors accountable, if people don't call attention to, you know, these issues, we will end up in the same place just with different players. So, you know, yeah. the bigger issue is like this is a systemic problem. It shows up as sexual harassment, but it also shows up as bias and discrimination, right? The you the People who harass, harass because they don't think, you know, women or men uh, are, you know, the, the victim is equal. They don't respect them and they have power that they exert over them. So, you know, this shows up in harassment, but it also shows up in how they pay people, how they promote people, how they hire people. And it's not just a gender issue. It also shows up in, you know, they don't value people who aren't like them. So they probably don't value people from other races and ethnicities or who have um, disabilities or who are, you know, just in any way different. And that is the even bigger problem that needs to be solved in order to solve these problems as well. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had argued earlier that this is now a boardroom problem. Um, and, you know, if it, if it wasn't before, it should be now. And that directors uh, should be taking this very seriously because it's, it's you know, a, a terrible thing. I mean, morally, it's bad. I mean, so just start there. But also, it's a business risk. And, and I think you're starting to see this, like, again, to, to go back to the Fox News situation with Roger Ailes and then very specifically with Bill O'Reilly, there was a big advertiser uh, boycott against uh, Bill O'Reilly's program when the first batch (laughs) of, um, you know, alleged sexual harassment allegations came out. Um, And that's when all of a sudden it it seemed to me that Fox started paying attention and was like, oh, you know, this is a problem. And so it it is a business risk. And, And same thing with Uber. I mean, like Uber, it took, you know, Susan Fowler's blog post to kind of really expose the problems there. And I, I felt just kind of, again, sitting back and watching the narrative and watching, um, you know, reading the, the press reports that, you know, Uber's board didn't really take action until that came to light. But also its valuation seems to have been falling as a result of it because there was a whole boycott among customers. Yeah. Like, we don't, you know, we don't want to do this. So, I mean, you may have some insight into this. Now, you're, you're an investor right now with um with uh, Kapoor Capital, and you know, do you see companies and startups or you know, taking note of this? I think any sort of change in that note. I don't think their boards are taking 
action yet. I think they do it when it becomes this huge PR nightmare and potentially right, when which it is... becomes a business risk. But yeah. generally, they you know they they leave it alone until you know unless they want the CEO out also because they're not they don't think they're a good leader. Then the harassment or discrimination becomes a good excuse. Um, yeah. So there's still a long way to go. I was talking to a CEO a few months ago who said, you know, his board is four white men and one of his investors is a board member and said, you know, I, I think we need, you know, our board is too white and male and we need to bring diversity onto the board. But he's not willing to step off, right? Like, where's the room for these new yeah people coming so, from. so he wasn't willing to so he wasn't willing to expand the board he just sort of well you know you can't expand the board that, but that's probably you know there's a good size for a board and you know just adding people probably doesn't make sense but also if you know if you really want to have you know uh half the people not be men and have you know race and ethnicity ethnic diversity yeah. on the team like it's more than adding one person right Right, right, which is what a lot of companies seem to do, right? They they find, you know, a, a woman or, or, or two or, um, you know, and, and they make a big deal out of it. And, and, and look, I don't I don't want to say that that's not that's, I guess, a small step. Um, but I think you're right. It's, you know, why why aren't these boards? First of all, a lot of times the, the board turnover is pathetic. You know, they sit on boards forever. There's particularly in Silicon Valley, this whole idea of retaining control through special shares. And, you know, I think that kind of creates a whole host of problems. And you can see that with Uber, for example. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that that's a problem. Um, and, and so maybe we can step off track for a bit and tell me a little bit about Kapoor Capital, because just when I was reading about it, it's you seem to make a, or the firm seems to make a conscious effort to be diverse and to go out there and, and try and um, fix some of these problems. Yeah. So I am the chief diversity and inclusion officer at k Center, and I work closely with our portfolio companies from the k Capital Fund to bring in, you know, diversity and inclusion into the cultures to help with uh, building values and codes of conduct. Uh, and that has been you know, a great experience. And then we look to invest in companies that are committed to having an impact, focused mostly on um, underrepresented people of color and on yeah. lower socioeconomic status. And uh, all of our companies sign up to our founders commitment, which is a commitment to make sure their companies are diverse and inclusive to participate in our programs and workshops and to track their progress. And that's been something that, you know, it's still early. We just are about a year and a half into it, but we've okay. seen founders are very committed and interested in making sure that their companies avoid the problems that these larger companies are having such a hard time fixing. And, uh, you know, that's been a great work in progress. That's great. So so you are seeing some movement in this area then in Silicon Valley specifically um, about, you know, trying to trying to change and not have it, you know, basically a bunch of white guys right. running a company. And I did talk to somebody in the entertainment industry um, this week who said that his firm had a meeting, a company-wide meeting, where they talked about a few people who had been fired for 
bad behavior and they explained exactly what had been done wrong, which most companies don't do to protect the privacy and to give themselves legal protections. But in this case, they took the legal risk because they wanted to make sure that the business going forward was going to have less risk. So that's something that's new and really interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, you would think that that would would happen more often now because even with the NDAs that that some of these women that have been coming forward or... um, it still it still exposes the company for bad behavior, right? It's yeah. I'm um, hearing stories from ad agencies, from um, law firms, from all of the industries. Like it's it's it really is systemic across business. And from universities, it's a problem in many many places. All right, so let me just say thank you so much, Ellen, for joining our program. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to hearing the program. That's all for this week's episode of The Exchange. This podcast was produced by Ben Kellerman, Kate Duguid, and Andrew D'Antonio. If you haven't already, please sign up on iTunes, or even better, check us out at breakingviews.com. Thanks for tuning in.